St. Leo 360, a 360 degree overview of the St. Leo University community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Leo 360 podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode of St. Leo 360, we are featuring episode two from the As a Matter of Fact podcast series. And just a reminder, this series is hosted by Dr. Lisa Rapp McCall, who is a professor of social work here at St. Leo University. On this particular episode, Dr. Rapp McCall interviews Dr. Ebony Perez, who is an assistant professor of social work, as well as the chair of the undergraduate social work program here at St. Leo. And the two of them engage in a very thought-provoking discussion on the topic of race relations. So let's go ahead and turn things over now to Dr. Lisa Rapp McCall and Dr. Ebony Perez for episode two of As a Matter of Fact here on the St. Leo 360 podcast. Welcome to As a Matter of Fact, a podcast about important and intriguing research findings. What do the research discoveries mean and how do they impact and help us? I'm Dr. Lisa Rat McCall, your podcast host. I believe that science and research can help us be better and do better. So come along with me as we learn about the latest research discoveries and what they mean for us. Welcome to our second episode of As a Matter of Fact, a podcast about interesting research findings which may help all of us know better and do better. My name is Dr. Lisa Rapp McCall, and I'm a professor of social work at St. Leo University. Today, we're going to be diving into the topic of race relations in America and how we can move forward. I have an expert on this topic with me today, Dr. Ebony Perez. She has an MSW and a PhD and currently serves as assistant professor of undergraduate social work and department chair at St. Leo University. Her research agenda focuses on the nuances and complexities of the role of social work educators in advancing inclusive and transformative policies and preparing future practitioners for anti-racist praxis. Dr. Perez has over 15 years of experience in social work practice and has held various roles including behavioral specialist, research associate, inpatient psychiatric social worker, and pediatric ICU social worker. She received her PhD in curriculum and instruction, higher education administration, and a graduate certificate in diversity in education from the University of South Florida. In addition to scholarship and research, Dr. Perez has served on community boards and is currently serving as a member of the Council on Social Work Education, Council on Racial, Ethnic, and Cultural Diversity. Dr. Perez is also committed to faculty development with a focus on peer mentoring and supporting the success of black women and women of color scholars in the academy. Welcome, Dr. Perez, and thank you for being here today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Dr. Rat McCall. That was kind of overwhelming to hear out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an amazing backstory and really um, is perfect 
to start to talk about this issue of race relations. And I wonder if we could start by maybe you describing some of your work and research in this area. Absolutely. Um, So I've thought about this question quite a bit because I do oftentimes have students or audience members, if I'm doing a workshop or a webinar, ask, like, how'd you get here? Uh, And so I think in some ways, starting at the beginning and understanding a little bit about who I am explains how I got here. So I did grow up in a small town in Western Pennsylvania called Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Um, It's outside of Pittsburgh. And I grew up in the projects Mm -hmm. um, and predominantly black area. It's a former steel mill town. So a lot of people settled there like Folks don't know that that area of Pittsburgh was booming mm-hmm. when the steel mill was working. Right. Um, and so people settled there and they made good lives there. And at some point in my middle school education, there was this private school two towns over and they wanted to diversify their student body, both racially and socioeconomically. Mm -hmm. And they put a call out to churches in the area, which is interesting. We know how important religion can be within the black community. And one of the pastors, and it was not a church that we attended. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom was a bartender Mm -hmm. (laughs) for several years. And so one of the pastor's daughters knew my mom and reached out to her and said, hey, I think your kid would be good Mm -hmm. for this. Let's see. And I remember pulling up to the school because you had to test in. Right. And I thought it was a train station. That's how huge this school was and how different it was. Mm -hmm. And nobody looked like us Mm -hmm. as we were walking around. And so... You know, there are messages that you receive very early on about race that we don't even know Mm -hmm. that we are receiving. And I can remember being young and having people in my family say to me, you get along so well with white folks. And it it didn't make sense. And I didn't really have a context for that. I've unpacked that a bit as I've gotten older. Um, But it just, I was like, okay, like, and it wasn't said as a negative thing, right? But I really didn't know how to t- like. What does that mean, right? And I remember going on and looking around and saying, "Nobody here looks like us. There's no way they're letting me in this school. Nobody. The right. teachers didn't look like us. The the people cleaning, like mm-hmm. there was no one right. of color that we came with through the entire tour. I was there for a full day, took the test, um, and this is in the late 80s, tuition was almost $10,000 a year. I was like, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) And I took the test and I got in. Wow. And then I got a partial scholarship and my family figured out the rest. And so here I found myself in this very foreign land Mm -hmm. that was just two towns over. Right. Um, And I was scared. Sure. And I was confused. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are students who grew up riding horses and taking international vacations and things that I just hadn't experienced at that time. And I feel like when I got there, the people there were so open and so welcoming. And 
I had a history teacher, Mr. Barnes, who I still love to this day. Um, he actually was history slash English kind of teacher, but in our history class for that seventh grade year, uh, we read To Kill a Mockingbird mm -hmm. and unpacked that from a historical perspective. And right. it was the first time I had heard a white person talk about race. Mm -hmm. And I went home like, what is this? <laughs> what is going, are we allowed to do that? Right? right. Because the messages that we got is you don't talk about race in mixed company. Sure. sure. And so here I am, not only are we in mixed company, but there are, you know, there obviously there were white children in my class, but we had first generation Indian American children in the mm -hmm. class. There were a couple of black children who were sprinkled in, but this was very foreign, and right. I have this white man mm -hmm. who's talking about these very heavy issues yeah. that are raised in that book. And I think that set the foundation for me thinking about race mm -hmm. and how to engage in the function of race or to really start thinking about how race functions in our society. Mm -hmm. And that has really been the basis for my research. And as I have... Um, gained more education, gained more experience, my work really looks at ultimately how do we engage in those conversations that I had in seventh grade, right? Because we still really struggle with that, right? How do we move so that we can begin to solve some of the angst and the despair and the issues that we see and my platform has been within education. Mm -hmm. In my life, and I believe for many people, education can be a way to change your circumstances. Mm -hmm. But there are so many barriers that we know and challenges and limitations in that pre-K to 12th grade experience right. that some people never even get to the college level. Right. And those who get to the college level, particularly for women, mm -hmm. who we are often socialized not to use our voices, right? Right. We're supposed to be quiet. We're supposed mm -hmm. to be demure. We mm -hmm. don't rock the boat. Right. Well, to make change, you got to rock the boat. Right. It's not comfortable. Right. Um, some people, because of their faith and definitely because of race, these can be challenges and barriers. And what we've done and what I've learned over the years is in our diversity initiatives that have happened through policy, when we look at Brown v. Board of Education, um, when we look at you know busing children and things like that, when we think about those, some of the unattended consequences of those really big movements were the negative impact on black and brown communities, yeah. where then you take black children out of formally nurturing educational environments mm -hmm bust them to hostile white environments where you're supposed to learn. Right. Like my grandmother always said, you can't learn anything tired, hungry, or uncomfortable. Yeah. I can't imagine, mm -hmm. especially now being a parent myself, what that had to feel like moving from this situation where your teachers and your administrators were very nurturing of mm -hmm. you to teachers and administrators feeling like you don't belong here, they're forcing me, you're unintelligent, and all the other tropes that right. were given. And so my research really seeks to examine those historical moments, 
look at the impact that it has on our contemporary policies and practices within higher education specifically, and then think of solutions. It does not help if the knowledge stays in the Ivy Tower, so to speak. Right, right. We got to figure out how to make it practical. And I think one of the best ways to do that is at that faculty and staff level, mm-hmm. because we help set the tone and create the environment, but we still got to uncover and get through all these old tropes that we learned right. until we got here. Right. And so that I think that's kind of like an easy way to describe my research mm-hmm. and you know thinking about how I got here and why it's important to me and why I'm so passionate yeah, about it. Absolutely. And what an amazing experience you had by going to that school that actually wanted you to come. Absolutely. And then surprising you by being welcoming and actually talking the talk and doing the work with it. I'm sure it wasn't perfect every, you know, class or everywhere, but that kind of, it sounds like gave you like a model of what it could be. Yes. Right. So when we think about now and some of the policies you mentioned, which seems so lovely on paper, (laughs) but then when we've bust kids to a place, like you said, that maybe isn't very welcoming, doesn't understand why they're, why this is happening, but still has to, you know, teach or work with these kids. Do we start then with talking with the teachers and unpacking things with them and the staff? Or what do you think? So I think, honestly, that it's not a step-by-step process, Mm -hmm. that this is really simultaneous action. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's opportunities like the one you're affording me today to sit down and have a candid conversation about race, how it operates in our society from two women who have very different lived experiences mm-hmm. come from different racial backgrounds, right. but we're sitting in it right. and we're doing that thing. Right. So I think that you can't leave out any pieces of it. So it's the faculty and staff and their development, but it's also our students. Mm-hmm. It's having conversations in our places of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's looking at how race functions and it's getting over this idea of individual racist and I'm not saying that there are not racist people or people who engage in horrible behavior out there I mean unfortunately we've seen a lot of that right recently what I'm saying is that I feel like focusing on the individuals pulls our attention away from doing the true work that will afford us sustained change and Mm -hmm. movement. And in that regard, um, I think it's important for us to start everywhere. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be that education is my place, I feel, and Mm -hmm. my platform. But if I'm having a conversation as a faculty member with a staff member, or even talking to, you know, one of our people who are working on campus, who Mm -hmm. are working on the grounds, or, you know, I go over to the cafeteria and all that, and I talk to the workers there, you know, that models for Mm -hmm. our students. It Mm -hmm. breaks down barriers or kind of ideas of, oh, faculty are at this level and staff or, you know, service workers are over here. No, we're all part of this community. And 
much like the body of Christ, we have our hands, we have our feet, we all have different things that we need to do. Mm -hmm. And if we maintain that and we continue to operate in our respective places, joined together, we're much more powerful. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a matter of we all need the training. We mm -hmm. all need to be able to have the conversation. But I do think in terms of education arenas, it is on the responsibility of the staff, the administrators, the quote unquote adults mm -hmm. in the situation right. to model that for the children. Right. Because people out there who know and or love kids know they learn a lot more by what they see us do right. than what they hear us say. Right. There is definitely right. a difference there. So I think that's the beginning of mm -hmm. it. Just actually, like you said, doing it, doing it and rolling up your sleeves and just kind of be open to having those conversations and talking with everyone and yeah. modeling that positive behavior. For sure. And not being afraid of being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. We have, I mean, if we think about it, right. Um, people have these social media profiles and so everything is out there, it's perfect, or you have right. hundreds of friends online or however it may be. So there's, to me, and this may make me sound really old, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that then that stunts some of sure. our ability to relate face-to-face -face with people. Mm -hmm. And then when we're uncomfortable, yeah, then we just want to bow out. Right. Right? Right. I mean... I don't know about you, but I played team sports growing up. Sometimes mm -hmm. you lose right. and it hurts yeah. or you fall down. I think yeah. there's power in that and things that we learned about, okay, not just resiliency, but how to move on. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I would say additionally, I think that we have underestimated our younger generations mm -hmm. and what they're able to digest mm -hmm. and understand because we're uncomfortable with right. the topic of race. And so we're like, well, don't talk to them about, about race. We don't want to have that. We don't want people right. to feel bad. And it's not about feeling bad. It's about understanding individuals' experiences mm -hmm. and developing empathy. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can understand with your research and your work, the importance of developing that empathetic right. nature Absolutely. and building relationships to combat something or to become an ally with someone when we see injustices taking place. Right, right. And that's a good point. So we've, you know, kind of filtered for our kids in class what we're going to read, what we're going to talk about, because really it is our uncomfort or discomfort with the conversation that's going to follow. Um, it's the, not the kids. I mean, if we were able to be like your history teacher a little bit more, then that's also role modeling. This doesn't have to be awful. This right. can be really interesting and we can learn about each other so we can role model in that way too, mm -hmm. sounds like. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So what are some other key things you've learned through your research? So um, I think through my research, what I have learned um, in some ways is a level of confidence in that I know this stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that I can help other people understand and kind of translate it into plain English, so mm -hmm. to speak. You know, as a scholar, you, we write one way <laughs> for right. work. Right. But when you talk to people, 
Yeah. That's a different skill. And what I've learned through my work and my research is that there's a lot more um, desire to be allies with one another than it, there is a desire to not come together. Mm-hmm. That the participants in my various studies are very upfront and candid about some of their experiences along racial lines, some of the discomfort. And they have shared both stories where you have people of other races who have sabotaged Mm -hmm. their opportunities. um, And even sometimes people of the same race who have come in and treated them Mm -hmm. horribly. Right. However, what I've equally seen are people who are willing to say, some of my white participants who are willing to say, well, I don't know, but I want to learn. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've done. I've searched out authors. I've looked for workshops. I've participated in various webinars. I've diversified my friend group. Um, And I think the other thing that I've learned, because although I am a social worker at heart, for sure, Um, My PhD is in education. And so I've worked with women who have graduate degrees in different fields. So Mm -hmm. across disciplines. And what I have overwhelmingly heard from all of my participants, no matter if they were Latina, Black, White, Asian, is that they felt that we don't have these conversations enough Mm -hmm. in places of higher education. And so in our areas where we are learning to be teaching practitioners Mm -hmm. and we're learning the material and all the things that we need to do to teach classroom management in addition to content and all that, that very rarely do we talk about race. Yeah, Very rarely do we, in that classroom management piece, never once had a teacher say, Well, you know what? My professor in graduate school simulated a situation where somebody says something racist in in class Mm -hmm. and then we had to respond to it. Right, right. That that those practical things just don't happen. Mm -hmm. And that's from everyone. And so what people have shared is that they have had to on their own try to figure out Mm -hmm. who to listen to who to read, which Mm -hmm. webinars to go to, where to find community, who are the people who are doing the work. Mm -hmm. And that to me was really surprising Mm -hmm. because again, you're not talking about one specific discipline. You're talking about across education. I'm women who are in STEM fields, women who are in business, in the social sciences Mm -hmm. and social services. So this isn't specific. Right. To a particular discipline. Right. And that has been really surprising to me, but it Mm -hmm. also speaks to the need for us to recognize that and to do more. Yeah. That's so interesting because that is exactly my experience, too. Like, I learned how to do, you know, lesson plans, how to grade, how to motivate student, all this. And of course, the content, that's easy. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. by this point, we know our content right. inside and out. But that would have been so helpful to do some role plays of how to have these conversations. What if someone says something? How do I handle that? How do I handle 
you know, any of the diverse things that run through my head of, oh, no, this could go badly, this, that, that, and that way. What would I do? How would I handle it? How would I make it a safe environment for all the students? Um, So that is really so interesting. That would be so helpful to have that kind of training and dialogue over time and support each other like we talk to each other about other pedagogy and other strategies we have for teaching and learning Mm -hmm. um, that just would make so much sense and i hear that a lot Mm -hmm. quite actually right i would have loved to have that i would have loved to be able to unpack that Mm -hmm. and it not be in the context like of the moment right now can you cover everything in a class no but that's for absolutely everything right but to have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to at least begin to engage in it right and to think about what you would do right 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 so what is it those who uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so exactly. if we don't give this opportunity to have these uncomfortable, potentially uncomfortable, mm-hmm. because they don't have to be they don't have uncomfortable. To be. Right. I mean, one of the classes that I teach is hip hop and social justice. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, there's very little discomfort <laughs> <laughs> in that class yeah. um, as we are unpacking particular themes. And when there is discomfort, we're able to bring it back to the mm-hmm. music, to connect the music right. to the culture. And what I find particularly in that class is students are open. Mm -hmm. They're right. They're willing to have Mm -hmm. these conversations. And in fact, when we're not helping them unpack this, they're coming up with sometimes really awful (laughs) ideas about why a person behaves a particular way or has a certain thought process. It's like anything else where if, I only talk to people who think like me, believe like me, look like me. Mm -hmm. I'm missing out on such richness and such um, just our ability to function and Mm -hmm. come together that in my own head, I can make things really horrible. Have you ever like had a conversation in your head and then you go and talk to somebody and you're like, oh, it really wasn't that bad. Exactly. Or I, I knew what I was Right. Or, right. I think the same thing happens right. with race. Right. right. And when you can tie it with other things such as music mm-hmm. or movies, mm-hmm. um, students are willing to, and I think people in general really mm-hmm. are willing to open up and mm-hmm. have conversations and to think about how things function. Yeah. Not just at a surface level. Right. And that's really interesting way to do it because now we're talking about how we have similarities, right. how we have things in common as opposed to how we're different, where we're finding, gosh, we have more in common than differences, <laughs> yes, you know? Yes. Um, but if we're not having those conversations, we never get to realize that. We just keep in our head saying, the, you know, othering those, right. those them, people over them, there. Those and everyone yes. else. But, you know, they're different. They're this, they're that. So mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Um, I know a a question that comes up frequently is trying to unpack and understand what race is. I know that, you know, sometimes we've seen questions like, are there biological differences between races? Or is it just cultures and traditions and rituals or foods or, you know, what, 
what really is race, I guess, is sort of the question. Yes, um, that's usually where I start a lot that's of good. times <laughs> in some of my classes. So, and this is something that we do spend time really kind of unpacking and thinking about because people do believe that there are biological reasons for racial differences? And the answer is no. Scientifically, it has been proven decades ago Mm -hmm. that there are no biological differences between people who are racialized. Mm -hmm. So what that means is, Lisa, you and I probably have more DNA in common than we do different, even though our eye color is different. And phenotypically, our mouths and our noses look differently. Mm -hmm. But underneath it all at that basic biological level, there is really no difference. Mm -hmm. So where race comes into play then, race is what we, you know, in academic terms, we define it as a social construct. Mm -hmm. And basically what that means is we made it up. Right. We came up with categories in order to support behavior Mm. and to think about the way that we wanted to treat or better yet, mistreat mm-hmm. people. So our ideas about race flow down into intelligence, flow down into mm-hmm. ability, right. flow down into, you know, um, like you were saying, the similarities that we think we may have with mm-hmm. one another. But the idea of race in and of itself was birthed out of the eugenics movement, mm-hmm. which was one of the horrible <laughs> Theories and philosophies that was developed to really support the actions that were happening during the Holocaust, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so we had to come up with racial categories right. Right. to say, this justifies us treating people poorly. Mm-hmm. No. Right. If you look back prior to that eugenics movement and we look at... Um, Historic, whether you look at various religious texts or even if you look at scientific or philosophical texts, people didn't separate themselves along the lines of quote unquote race. We were separated based on things like tribal affiliation, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily tie to what we think of as race now, right? Right. right? Or we regional affiliations. Mm-hmm. So did you live in Sweden mm-hmm. or did you live in Germany right. kind of deal? So it wasn't until that movement and we had to think about, well, we're treating these people really badly. And in a lot of ways, the, our ideas of race are tied to capitalism and making money mm-hmm. and tied to a way to exploit the resources of a particular region. So right. because I want your stuff right, and I should have a right to your stuff because I'm better than you. right. And how do we say that? Well, I speak this language. I mm-hmm. look this way. Mm-hmm. So race is something that we have made up but it has a significant impact on our experiences because of how we operate mm-hmm. and how we continue to mm-hmm. choose to utilize it. So even though it, there is not a biological um, tie to that, there is a very real and functioning outcome mm-hmm. of the meaning that we have given to race and how it functions. And those are a lot of 
webinars and workshops and conversations mm -hmm. that I've attended, um, some that I've led, how you know we work with our students in our class is kind of beginning to unpack that and help folks wrap their minds around that. Right. Um, wow. Wow. So we created these labels so that we could behave in egregious ways, basically. Mm -hmm. And those labels have really built up all kinds of tropes and quote unquote characteristics, yes. false, you know, a lot of times. Um, and they continue. Should we start or should we stop rather using the word race? Mm -hmm. So I think because it's been so embedded that it's here to stay. Okay. I think more importantly, um, because I'm a Gen Xer, right? Mm -hmm. So there were certain kind of ideas that we got as Gen Xer, right? So when we think about the civil rights movement, we were often told, been there, done that, we got it. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to worry about right. it anymore. Right. Well, what we have learned... <laughs> So we should have kept our foot on the gas. Exactly. There, yeah. Because we did still have to worry and think yeah. about it. And because we didn't, we're seeing things like the Voting Right Act be gutted. Mm -hmm. We're seeing policies and practices like gerrymandering yeah. um, just in ways that we have not seen since pre-1965 and the Civil Rights right. Act being put into place. And that's just mm -hmm. one example. Voting right. is just one example. Right. But that example, I think, helps us see very real the function of race. Mm -hmm. So getting rid of the word is not going to get rid of the behavior. Mm -hmm. Because as a right. Gen Xer, I've seen us not use certain words for a really long time. <laughs> but these behaviors right. are here. Right. And because we're not talking about them, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. we're we don't understand the importance of the historical context, we're not teaching full history. Right. Right. right? You're not getting the complete story. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about a historical moment or movement tell it from all sides right. of it because our students and our kids i'm a parent mm -hmm. um they're sharp yeah and they're strong enough to handle it i right. think we underestimate them mm -hmm. and it's our discomfort that is really kind of putting the brakes sure. on being able to move in that direction so no i don't think we should stop using the word race mm -hmm. i think we need to focus more on how race functions how it impacts us all white black right latinx asian mm -hmm. middle eastern it impacts us all right we react to the world in a certain way and the world reacts to us and that symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. isn't going to go away right because we don't use the word but understanding the function of race and then thinking about our behavior and how we can do better i think that's where the real opportunity mm -hmm. is yeah, I can see that. That's interesting because if we got rid of that word, we might just be stuffing it down and hidden mm -hmm. again, right. you know, only to, you know, just not be talking about it when that's the very thing we should be talking about. Right. Why do you think that some people have a harder time kind of accepting and embracing differences in people? than others because you mentioned you know you've met with people and they're 
I'm open to learn. I, I had this background. I didn't learn there or I learned the wrong thing, but I'm open now to learning. But some people don't respond in that Correct. way. Um, why do you think that is? I think there could be a lot of things. I think, um, unfortunately, sometimes we have used that kind of, to use a marketing term, a principle of scarcity. Mm -hmm. There's not enough. Right. So I need to get all mine and keep all mine. Right. And you can't have any. Right. Um, which when you think about a lot of communities historically, that's not how we operated. We were very communal. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I had chickens and eggs and mm -hmm. you had cows, you give right. me milk, I give you eggs. We're right. working together because right. we needed each other. Right. So I think as we have moved to a less community mindset that that has increased this idea or this principle of scarcity and which creates a really unhealthy competition in mm -hmm. lots of different ways. I also think that there's a lot of fear mm -hmm. and fear is a powerful right. motivator, right? Yeah. I've never been a smoker mm -hmm. because I don't want cancer. They beat that into our heads right. when we were growing up, right? right? Um, and so it's just like one of those things where it's like, that's a horrible disease. Mm -hmm. This is one way that I could get it. I'm staying away from that. Right. I think that for some people, we use these fear mechanisms from the time mm -hmm. people are tiny, mm -hmm. right? You don't see children, babies don't come out of the womb with distinction Right. <laughs> between right. racial differences, right. right? That's something that is taught. Mm -hmm. It's taught often. It's taught early. Again, they're paying attention to what we say more so than what we do. And I'll give you an example. So imagine, I'm going to take you on a visualization with me, <laughs> <laughs> that you're in McDonald's. There's a kid there with their mom and big black guy walks in, right? And he could be huge, 6'4", like linebacker built, big guy. The kid, two, three, or three, four years old, turns and says, mom, look at that big black guy. What will the parent typically do? Shh, stop it. Right. What have we just taught that kid? Right, fear and you can't say that. Right. Mm -hmm. But also, what am I afraid of? Right. Now, mom probably meant, oh, gosh, don't embarrass me. Right. <laughs> right. Mom right. may not have right. meant it as a racial right. message at all. Mm -hmm. But the message is we don't talk about race. Right. We don't talk about big people. Right. We sh you big black guy like shh. Bring it down. Right. Right. You know, I've never asked that question to either a class or an audience if I'm doing a webinar or workshop mm -hmm. and that's not the reaction. Yeah. That is what every single audience says. Right. So we've all seen it. Some of us have been in the position where we have done it. Right. Right. And right. maybe it wasn't race. Maybe it was ability or whatever. Right. But we we can all relate to that. Yeah. But the message that that three or four year old gets, mm -hmm. because very rarely does the parent go back and explain right. why they shush them, right. is there's a fear there. Mm -hmm. And I think that those kind of really unintentional things right. are things that we need to be more conscious of. Yeah. And if it is rude because they said right. whatever, right. then we need to take a moment and explain that right. to the that kiddo. That it's this, not that. Right. It's, you, yeah. you don't 
point out. And hello, six four linebacker. Here's a big black guy. Right. Right. <laughs> it's okay. Well observed. Yeah. Well observed. <laughs> Great observation skills, Timmy. Yeah, right. You know? Right. But you begin to fuel that in the kiddo. And then it comes with other things, right? Mm-hmm. You walk into your store. I have girls as well as boys in my family. Mm-hmm. Um trying to buy dolls sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, granted, there's been a lot more choices right. <laughs> recently than it right. was when I had my when, oldest kiddo. And when we were growing oh, up, when there we, was... There was not... Bar- and Barbie was only blonde. Right. That was it. Right. Right? Yeah. So, consequently, I like trucks and football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think that fear, that fear piece is a powerful motivator, but mm-hmm. I think it's because we as adults don't know how to do it. And I've had some of my white friends um, and family members, I do live in a multiracial, bicultural family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had some of my white friends and family members say, well, when do you talk to kids about race? We don't want to, quote unquote, shatter their innocence. We don't want them to feel bad. And I said, well, when does a kid of color have the option not to live racialized? Right, right. So recognizing that if you are white or white passing, Mm -hmm. um, that's a privilege that you have that families of color do not have. Right. And what are you going to do with that privilege? There's a lot of privilege there. There's a lot of power there. How can you potentially lead those conversations? So I truly think that the reason that people are so uncomfortable talking about differences and Mm -hmm. talking about race is because on some way we're fearful. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to there are very few people in the world who are like, I'm a card-carrying racist and I don't care if you know. Right. I don't believe that the majority of people feel like that. Yeah. Um, I think those are the people who get on the news. Yeah. <laughs> but right. I don't think that that represents the majority of white people out right. there. Right. I, I just honestly, genuinely do not believe that. But I think particularly for white people, it's been very difficult to figure out how do I engage in this mm without looking mm-hmm. racist, without looking right. negatively, like I don't right. want to make other people feel bad. Mm-hmm. So the message that we've given is that good white folk don't talk about race. Yeah. And because we've silenced that and taken away that voice, the counter message then for black and brown communities has been don't talk about race. Right. Don't give your experiences. Right. Because in some ways you don't want to make white people uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. historically that was a survival mechanism. Sure. You Absolutely. could lose your life. And yeah. some would argue that today, depending on the situation, Absolutely. you could still lose your life if you make a white person in the certain position uncomfortable. Sure. That fear mm-hmm. has been powerful and it's done a great job at keeping us apart. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons because you're undoing not just that person's history, but mm-hmm. generations right. of messages. Right, right. It's so interesting that you tell that um, visualization because in our family, we have it's a story, it's a family story. When my mother was little, she was on the bus with my grandmother in the city in Buffalo and she must have been about three and they got on the bus and sat down and she looked up and she said mom 
Look at that chocolate baby. Oh, it's so cute. It's a chocolate baby. And she said it like multiple times. So, of course, my grandmother, same thing. (laughs) Shush it down. She was just horrified, you know, hoping that the woman in front did not hear her. And in addition, when my mom got home, she got a spanking for that. So took it a step further to also say, we do not do that on the bus. But not clear enough to say, like, you might hurt someone's feelings or... That's the reason, same reason we don't point out someone's disability or something like Mm -hmm. that. We don't yell that out, but not about that. It's not about the race or to explain or use that as an opportunity to learn. Um, So it was like a doubly strong message of um, we don't talk about it. And also, you know, that's not okay. And you probably need to stay away from people like that. Right. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of all of it wrapped in, like, that's what my mother's perspective was. And she's 80 something and still remembers that story and tells it. Which, how powerful then of a message was that with her and the little chocolate baby? Right. right? And so then, how then does she have conversations with you growing up about chocolate babies? Right. We don't. Right. Right. It was really difficult for her to have those conversations. And then I hearing this story and being an educator and social work myself, (laughs) we're going to try it a different way, you know, with my daughter, not perfect, but we're going to try. But yeah, it's, you're right, it's from such an early age that that is embedded in, you know, kids psyche Mm -hmm. that when we have a 30, 40, 50, 60 plus person now trying to change some of that, that that's going to be hard, not impossible, not impossible, not impossible, but it's going to be something they're going to have to work on, uh, really think about too. It's something I have to work on, right? The message of you get along so well with white people. And part of me is like, well, is that a good thing? Is right. that a bad thing? Right. Are they special? Right. Like, people, people. I don't like, get it. What, yeah. what is going right. on? You right. know? And I do think we need to, I think that's why history is so important. Mm-hmm. And we need to take our own personal histories into yeah. account too, right? So I think of my grandfather who grew up in Eufaula, Alabama, which is still like post-size stamp <laughs> and still very <laughs> racially segregated. But... um. And I heard stories about him. He, interestingly enough, was an only child, which is crazy because it's mm. right. His birthday yeah. was 1928. So right. who only has one kid? Right. I had so many questions that I could never answer <laughs> or ask. Um, but he was an only child. But when I became a teenager, I started hearing him tell stories about being chased by dogs. Wow coming home from school or walking to school mm-hmm. and seeing a body that had been lynched from the day before. Gosh. That's my grant. Like, wow. People are like, oh, you know, that was forever ago. It really was That's not. not that long ago it, at all. It really was not. Um, and so I think, and I never got the opportunity to ask him, and I guess I just wasn't thinking about it that way sure. as a teenager. But at this point, I mean, he played Negro League baseball. Obviously, he grew up in Jim Crow South, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. What in the world did he think when I brought my first white boyfriend home? Right, (laughs) right, right. Like, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. He did not shut me down. Right. 
He treated him with kindness. We dated for quite a while. He came to family events. Mm-hmm. We would, and he, my grandfather hung out with him. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think about that as an adult, right? Who has studied race for several years mm-hmm. now. You were chased home. Wow. You were actively pursued, mm-hmm. even if, if quote unquote, in jest, which I don't really think the clan did much in jest. Right. But right. <laughs> you were chased home. Fortunately, he survived Jim Crow South because right. lo- lots of people did not. Yeah. What did that feel like to have then your granddaughter right. bring home this white guy and be mm-hmm. like, hey, grandpa, me, my boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Was there fear there? Right. I don't know. But obviously, wow. he did something, imparted something into me, into mm-hmm. my mom, mm-hmm. where that wasn't right as taboo. Yeah. Even though there were still certain things you, you did not do or did right. not say. Right. But he had to, I, I can't imagine that there wasn't some fear there, but yeah. he managed to not pass that on yeah that's amazing and the anger too he might have had anger yeah i I could imagine that rightly so and to not pass that on as well and to be welcome and open to you know your boyfriend coming and meeting and getting to know him that's like wow Mm -hmm. it's amazing man he wasn't the only white boy i brought home either so Right. Because for some people, like, that's the game changer. Right. right? Like, you right. can have white friends. Right. We can be friends. You know, I have white yep. girlfriends, all yep. that good stuff. And they're yep. like, oh, whatever. But then right. when you're dating, sometimes that yep. ends up being where you can see the prickliness mm-hmm. oh, yeah. kind of come up. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That That's so interesting. But what amazing man to have, you know, moved. That gives us hope, right? Yes. You know, like... So what is the end goal in studying race? So for me, I think the end goal is to leave the world better than when I came into it. Mm -hmm. Um, My students will tell you and my kids that I always say, if you take care of Florida reference, if you take care of your part of the ocean, Mm -hmm. eventually we'll have a much cleaner ocean. It won't be perfect, but it'll be cleaner. Right. And so in the spaces that, I live and I work and grow and operate. My hope in my study of race is that I understand the function better. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully I have the language, the opportunity to help other people and explain it so they can be able to understand the function Mm -hmm. better and how racism hurts us all. issues of racism are not just a black and brown issue this takes all of us together we want and we need white people Mm -hmm. in the fight with us and i think that for me is what the end goal is i'm not naive and pollyannish and saying you know we're going to end up in this kumbaya place right not at all right um and i do think that if we do nothing, mm-hmm. not only is it 
going to at best stay the way that it is, but the chances of things being more divisive, right. more violent, mm-hmm. the chances of us having more discord mm-hmm. grow and increase. And that's just not a world and a space that I want to live in. That's right. not how I want to live my life. Right. And I don't think anybody really right. wants to live their life like that. Right. Carrying around that hurt and that anger and yeah. unforgiveness is sickening to the body. Yeah. It manifests, that stress will manifest in all sorts of ways. Right. Right. Hair loss, weight loss, cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, those negative emotions, your body's going to feed off of that some way, somehow. Right. So if we can help, particularly in this now that we have learned about COVID and we're trying to figure right. out how to live with COVID, mm-hmm. inflation, all the other stressors we have out there, mm-hmm. I feel like this is one thing that we can actually do, folks. Right, right. We can do this. Right. It's going to be hard. Right. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be lifelong. But mm-hmm. I've never met anyone who accomplished anything, mm-hmm. even halfway great right (laughs) who didn't put the time and the work in there Mm -hmm. right i'm a huge sports person Mm -hmm. not gonna win the super bowl you're not gonna win the stanley club right you're not gonna win the world series or the world cup if you don't show up for practice Mm -hmm. if you don't go to work if you don't learn the basic skills and then do those things out on the field right it's no different when talking about the function of race and dismantling racism. Mm -hmm. You learn the basics, you practice them in conversation, you practice them in your behavior, and you keep going. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we'll win. Mm -hmm. We will. It Mm -hmm. won't be perfect, right? but we'll get there, right? and it'll be better. I like that um, metaphor of, you know, taking care of your little piece of the ocean or your little realm Mm -hmm. and if you can make small changes there one by one like and those folks can make a little change too um it's so feasible it is It's so feasible and you're right like we have so many other things that divide (laughs) us and we've got to worry about and figure out it'd be nice if we could talk and work together and figure that out because you can't figure it out alone no one group isn't going to figure it out um but by working together we have a chance we do we do it's like baskin robbins right you got Mm -hmm. 31 flavors of ice cream right wouldn't it be boring if we always got rocky road or always got chocolate or vanilla exactly trying those different things and i love the you made me think of the butterfly effect right Mm -hmm. that wing, that right flap of a butterfly's wing can cause a tsunami somewhere else exactly and i think if we look at the entire ocean or the entire problem of Mm -hmm. racism and say well i'm not gonna fix voting rights right right i'm not gonna fix over criminalization that's overwhelming right right And you're probably right. You Mm -hmm. by yourself are not going to do that. Right. However, if you start with your family, Mm -hmm. then with your plate within your places of worship, within your neighborhood, in your places of business, Mm -hmm. when you do that, Mm -hmm. that multiplies. And not just kids watch what we do. Right. Your friends and colleagues are watching what you do too, and that can speak. Leadership doesn't need to be loud. It is often very quiet in right. how we walk out and live our lives. And right. that's 
part of taking care of your ocean, I think. Right. The lion doesn't need to roar, just needs to do his thing just the right way. Just needs to do his thing. Yeah. So besides us each doing those little steps, what are some other things that we can, you know, take away that we can start doing to improve relations between races and embrace differences as Mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, othering or looking negatively on difference? I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to be honest with ourselves about when we other mm-hmm. people, yeah. when we have disparaging thoughts about individuals, yeah, when that little fear monster mm-hmm. strikes up. Um, and don't get me wrong, sometimes fear is a powerful motivator sure. in a good way, right? right? Like I traveled a lot through college and there were certain places that I was like, I'm not going there by myself. <laughs> right? right. So fear can be yeah. a powerful, mm-hmm. positive motivator right. as well. However, right. I think being aware and understanding that and being honest with yourself, mm-hmm. because when we're confronted with our own prejudice and bias, we have a choice, mm-hmm. right? We can retreat from that and say, oh, not touching that. I don't feel good about it. Right. We can say, oh, I'm going to lean into that because, yes, I'm sticking my flag on this issue right Right. here. I'm sticking with this bias. Right. Or we can examine that more closely and say, what's going on with that? Mm -hmm. Where did that message come from? Was I shushed and did I get a spanking for talking about the chocolate baby? Right. Um, You know, was I hushed in the McDonald's because I pointed out the big black man? Right. Right. Where does that come from? Mm -hmm. And once we start to do that Mm self-examination i think it then opens up curiosity in other realms Mm -hmm. um i tell people all the time can you diversify your friend group right now i have been in situations or i've heard from audience members at times or students that i wouldn't be necessarily be comfortable just walking up to somebody and be like can you be my friend (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i get that i totally get that So what are some of the other things that you can do? Can you go to cultural experiences Mm -hmm. that are different Mm -hmm. than you and you can learn a little bit more about Mm -hmm. the culture, you know, putting yourself in a space that opens up that opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Reading. Mm -hmm. I know people don't like to read anymore, (laughs) but you can read on your Kindle. Yes. You can read on your phone. Right. You know, the Tampa Bay Library Consortium Mm -hmm. has a whole like app. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. So, re- and it doesn't have to be hardcore serious right. um, work. I mean, there are certain books, for example, there's one, uh, so you want to talk about race, that's a good book that offers kind of practical firsthand experiences, things like that. Um, but it's, it's not heavy. Right. But you can read fiction. Right. You can read Things, science fiction, um, mm-hmm. if you're a sci-fi kind of person, Octavia Butler's work is absolutely phenomenal. Right. Um, so getting kind of out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. doesn't have to look like you putting yourself in a space with right. real live 3D people. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can take it slow reading mm-hmm. different things, um, watching different experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, Netflix is out there. We all right. have it. Amazon yep. Prime. Um, 
there are documentaries for people who like right. documentaries. There's a documentary on Netflix now that is talking about the immigration experience. And mm. I watched the first one. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to need a break right. here. Right. Um, Amazon Prime did a historical account of the Underground Railroad, mm. which if you have not seen it, oh it is so gosh. good. But let me just tell you. I could not get through more than one episode at a right, time because right. I needed to unpack that. Right, right. <laughs> um, HBO Max did a fantastic, again, for our sci-fi people out there, Lovecraft Country. And mm -hmm. if you know anything about science fiction and H.P. Lovecraft and who he was, he was a horrible human being who had a phenomenal imagination. And wow. yes, both of those things can be true. Right, right. right? Mm -hmm. Um who created these magical, wonderful creatures wow. and was just one of the most staunch racists <laughs> that we even know of. And right. so Lovecraft Country uses some of his characters and some of his backdrop, but the writers of the show are people of color. Mm -hmm. And so Misha Green, who is the writer of the show, um, twist some of his characters mm -hmm. and the idea and mm -hmm. it's really told from black perspective so they talk about sundown towns you get these magical creatures mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it's a phenomenal series and no i do not get paid by any of these <laughs> but i think people often right. think that learning about or talking about or dipping into the water about race right. has to be so scholarly and academic right. and it doesn't have to be right we have again lots of fiction lots mm -hmm. of sci-fi lots of otherworldly kind right. of um, opportunities to mm -hmm. get in that. And I think as you do that, you start opening your mind and being mm -hmm. able to see different possibilities that will hopefully encourage you to diversify right. in bigger ways. Right, right. Just, just thinking things through and just seeing things from someone else's point of view, Absolutely. right, and their eyes, that helps just to start there. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Perez. This has been thank a great you. conversation. I've learned a lot. And um, I just, I'm so glad you were able and willing to come and talk because I think there's so much to unpack here. And it's, it's fascinating, but it's also feasible for us yes. to start doing that and making those changes. Very much so. I want to thank you, Dr. Rat McCall, for the opportunity um, to be able to just come on and to have conversation about something that I think is near and it's definitely near and dear to my heart yeah but I think it really impacts all of us and yes. I just appreciate you so much you have been for me a mentor even from afar mm -hmm. you have just been wonderful to work with and to get to know over the years and I just appreciate the fact that you see me um, so thank you. Thank you for doing you thank and being you. you. Oh, thank you. You're so <laughs> kind. Appreciate that. Of course. To hear more episodes of the St. Leo 360 podcast, visit stleo.edu forward slash podcast. To learn more about St. Leo's programs and services, call 877-622-2009 or visit stleo.edu.